you can benefit so much if you can move past the surface level things that we all talk about on a day-to-day basis and then really get to the core of what someone has to offer. And I just think that that is so underrated. It's so valuable. This is Chan with the Plan the Podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Hey, Scott, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm really excited to be here. And I'm excited to have you on. We were both on Max's list of top career podcasts to listen to in 2022, right? We were. Yeah. Yeah. And Welcome to the list, by the way. Yeah. I'm a first timer and hopefully I'll see you on the list for many years to come. And the reason why I brought you on today is, as you know, there's a lot of shift in terms of like people wanting to have more fulfilling careers and you uh, specialize in like helping people like have that fulfilling career, which is whether it's making a career change, whether it's moving to a different industry or role altogether, or just looking to elevate where they are right now because they feel stuck. So why don't you tell my listeners a little bit about what you do in terms of like helping people? I know you have a podcast yourself and you do have a book too, right? So why don't you briefly talk about all that and then we could get started in terms of like strategizing with my audience and how to get their career to the next level. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're right. We do have a podcast, the Happen to Your Career podcast, and a book by the same name that's coming out October 11th of 2022. And, you know, as far as what we do, it's going to sound a little bit weird, but really what we do at the core is we help people identify what their own personal version of extraordinary looks like for their career and how it interacts with their life. And then we help people go and find that in reality. So you could say that very often we're helping people achieve what most people think is impossible. And I would say that, you know, in many cases it does seem nearly impossible, but that's literally what we do every single day. And part of where that comes from actually comes from Jesus approaching 20 years ago now. I found myself in a role in a company that was a <laughs> It was a good job. Honestly, it paid really well. And it was a situation that you know they said if I did really well, they'd buy me a BMW. And there was a lot of really wonderful things about it, but it was a terrible fit. And I found myself going to work in, in Portland, Oregon every single day where I was driving in, you know, had three hours of commute and I hated it. Like I, I was despising it in so many different ways just because it was such a wrong fit. So all of that led up to me finally getting up the courage to talk to my boss and say, Hey, look, I think I made the wrong decision in accepting this role. And he listened politely and asked some questions. And then three weeks later, he fired me. And that was actually what kicked off everything else. Because at that point in time, I had gained 50 pounds. I was in a really unhealthy spot for so many different reasons, but it was stressful. I was working 80-ish or so hours a week on an ongoing basis. I didn't really even get to see my brand new wife at the time. There's so many things like that or not working well at all. But at that point in time, when he fired me, I was relieved. It was really, in some ways, really horrifying. It was embarrassing. Like I had to go and tell all my team that I was, you know, being fired and basically leaving the company, the 20 people that reported to me. And then also 
I remember it was raining really hard that night. It was Portland, Oregon. So there's lots of rain, right? But I was driving home in the rain and I'm like, this is terrible. Like I wouldn't wish this upon anybody. There's like, there's gotta be a better way to do this. There's gotta be a better way to do work and gotta be a better way to have that interact with your life because this, I don't ever want to do again. So I made a promise to myself that I was never, ever, ever going to do it in that same way again. And so the next 10 years, quite honestly, I spent trying to figure out how do I find and do work that is much more fulfilling and still pays me really, really well and have a completely different type of experience. And so I started doing that over and over again for myself. But then I kept finding that people were asking me like, how did you go from operations management into HR? Or how did you get a $40,000 increase when the you know, company said that they're not doing increases? Like, how did you do that? So I found myself in that same conversation over and over again. And people were asking me, how did you do it? And I was helping them. And then they were doing it. And then so a couple of years after that, that's really what led to me creating and founding Happen to Your Career so that we could help people do exactly the same thing that I had done over the past 10 years for themselves. All right, let's talk about the firing conversation. So you had a conversation yeah. with your boss and then a few weeks later he fired you. Was the conversation awkward or was he saying like, hey, I know you're not happy here. I think it's best if I let you go and oh my find out what you want. Is that how well, it worked or? Even... I guess we're approaching 20 years later. Like this has been a long time ago. And I will say that it was exactly the right decision for the company. It really was. Like if I were in my boss's shoes, I probably would have done the same thing. And, you know, years later, I still feel that way. However, I don't know that I would wish upon anyone how he did it necessarily. So he gave me a choice. He said, I could walk out of there with two weeks pay and just leave, or I could sign a severance deal and go and you know get up in front of everyone who reported to me and everyone that I worked with and essentially say, hey, I'm leaving the organization. And so at that point in time, my brand new wife and I were really highly leveraged in debt and you know didn't have a lot of savings at all. And I needed the money. So I'm like, that's the choice I have to make. Like, that's for the good of my brand new family. And it was terrible. It was embarrassing. And I'm sure I was read the entire time. And it was really highly awkward. But I'm glad that it happened that way because if it had happened differently, I don't know if it would have made an emotional of an impact on me. And I don't know that I would be as attached to doing work in a way that is really meaningful to you. I don't know if I would have made all of the same changes that I'd made in my own life if it hadn't happened in that really terrible sort of way. Yeah. Sometimes when it comes to your career, you have to have something significantly happen to you for you to actually take action. Because some, yeah, like, yeah. some people tend to be on autopilot. Like, yeah, work might not be good, but hey, I got a good paycheck. I'm okay. I'll ride this out. And they never do anything to like change the circumstance. But sometimes like, yeah. it takes a massive influence for you to do something. For example, like getting laid off due to COVID. And if you were making a high salary, it's hard to get that in another job, right? So at that point, people want, would make a drastic change because they're backed into a corner. For sure. Great point. And you would label yourself as a high performer, right? And a common thing a lot of, especially younger professionals, is that they take on these like lucrative roles, for example, like consulting or working in big tech, and they're, they're high performers and they're making a lot of salary. The issue is that, again, you specialize in this, right? In terms of like helping them have more fulfilling careers and making a successful transition without having to start over, whether it's like title or salary. But there's that common fear that if they're making so much now, they don't know if they can uh, get the same 
amount or even more by switching into a different industry or role. So what's your advice on that in terms of like changing that mindset and believing you are worth what you want to be worth? That's such a great question. And you and I were chatting just a little bit about that because right before this, we recorded an interview with you for the Happen to Your Career podcast. And you were getting a little bit into this, but I've found some things that are similar to what you said on our show in that many people have this core belief. It's so funny. It is so funny because Cindy, she's one of the first people that people will meet when they interact with Happen to Your Career, when they you know get on the phone and we're trying to figure out like, hey, how can we best help someone in your exact situation? And every time or almost every time, we find ourselves having the conversation of, hey, like we don't see that people have to accept less money when they're making a change every time. However, even though that's what the data tells us, because we'll work with people literally all over the world, not just in the US, not just in Canada, not just in, but all over the world. And we see the exact same thing where when people are making these types of transitions, it's not a requirement that you accept less. And yet still, it's pervasive. We all believe for some reason or another that when I'm making a change like this, like you're talking about, then I have to either accept less money or I have to start over or something like that. So to answer your question directly about you know, how do you change that mindset? I've studied this for a lot of years, trying to understand for both myself and then later on as we've supported other people and we've started to figure out and test what works well. One of the things that I've seen is there's this problem that we call the exposure problem that happens with so many people at first where they just literally don't know. They don't know that you can make a transition and you keep all your experiences and you keep all of these other things and you can keep your salary or even get an increase at the same time. So if you don't know, you start to fill in the gaps about what you don't know about. And often we project the worst. And there's a lot of blog posts and all kinds of bad information about there about should you consider accepting less and other questions like that that are all over the internet. So it reinforces that belief. So thing number one that you can do is... Start exposing yourself to one, what the truth is, and then two, other people that are doing what you want to do. Because let's say for a second here that it was true and it was actually the majority of people that needed to accept less out there. Well, why do you personally, you're one person, why do you have to do that same thing that everybody else is doing? What about the smaller percentage? Even if it was a smaller percentage, we don't see that it is, but even if it was, what about the smaller percentage of people that are making those changes? What are those people doing? So no matter which way you look at it, I would encourage you to find and expose yourself to people that are doing what you want to be doing in one way or another. So if that is identifying work that is meaningful for you and then making a change without starting over and bringing over your experiences and then getting well compensated for doing so, then that's where you begin. And actually, quite honestly, that's the reason why we created our podcast in the way that we did, because we wanted to provide that exposure to other people to say, look, this is not like one person that's doing this. This is like many, many, many people that are doing this thing that people desire. So exposure. Yeah. You don't have to reinvent the wheel because I'm assuming, let's say we talked in your podcast about the professional I worked with that went from academia to tech. Like she's not the only person that did that. There's probably someone out there on LinkedIn where you can look at the profile and they went from academia to tech too, right? So it's not just one professional I brought up. So like you said, like getting that exposure and finding 
let's say five to 10 people that have made that transition. And then when you talk to them, like what were the things that they had to do to pivot successfully, uh, they'll tell you, and it tends to be the same type of tactics. And then that should help like, ease your anxiety in terms of making that move, right? Yeah, absolutely. And I think another thing that I've seen too. So, you know, I said thing number one is exposure. And you started to just talk about some different ways that you can do that. Certainly, you know, we've got the podcast as a reason why we put that there. And you've done a great job in sharing some of those stories too on this podcast. I've heard a few. And also another thing that you brought up is you can actually go and find those people in the real world. It's not as hard as it might sound to be able to do that. And one of the ways that you can do that is through what we'll call a series of test drive type conversations and test drive type conversations would be different than informational interviews. So informational interviews are often specifically about how do I go and find out information about this particular type of job, right? And it's also with the implication, like (laughs) many leaders, when they hear informational interview are like, oh in so many different ways, because it often comes with the implication that I want a job as well, like underneath the surface, like, hey, I'm going to ask for a job or something else along those lines. But test driving is with a completely different type of mindset. Like, how can you go and how can you find out information that is useful to you and do so in a way that allows you to be able to do something with it? So one of the things that we'll often do is we'll help people design a series of experiments in order to find out two things. One, are they heading down the right path for them as they're making a career change? And then two, are they doing so in a way that is really useful to them through the career change process? Now, that sounds really arbitrary and ambiguous. So let me tell you what I mean when I say useful. When we're putting together experiments, there's often the idea that I want to reduce my risk as I'm making a career change. And when I say reduce my risk, I'm talking about, I don't want to do all this work and then change to another role, job, company, whatever, and then get there and realize, oh crap, this is like basically the same thing. Only the names on the door have changed and it's different people and whatever else. And you still have all the same problems. Like you want to create a situation that is actually better for you in a variety of different ways, right? So experiments help reduce the risk by helping you make course corrections and adjustments before you've done all the work. If you do a little tiny bit of work up front and execute some experiments, then that helps you either pivot quickly at the beginning, or it helps you reinforce that, yes, I am in fact going the right direction for me. So I'll give you one example of a test drive type conversation. How about use a actual story? This is somebody that we worked with. Her name was Laura. And in Laura's case, Laura had been in her role for about eight years. So she was looking at making a career change. At the last three years, she had started to realize, you know, I'm here, but I'm really not passionate about the same things anymore. She'd had some changes going on in her life. She'd had a baby. Like there was a lot of things that were different. And her role was still essentially the same. She'd been promoted up quickly, now had a, you know, team that reported to her. But she was no longer excited about the same thing. So she knew that, but she didn't know what she wanted to pivot to. So in her case, we had to decide what that was quickly. Oh, and by the way, she wanted to make that pivot without you know, losing any of the compensation that she had grown accustomed to and was even looking at the opportunity as a potentially an opportunity to increase it or she had hopes. So Laura, in her case, she did one of our more common experiments that we call the social Goldilocks. 
And I think everybody's probably heard some variation of this, but I'll tell you a little bit about why this can be so effective. So the social Goldilocks, you've heard the story Goldilocks, right? Like most people are pretty familiar with that. Goldilocks so. and the three bears? Is, is that? Yeah, Goldilocks yeah. and the three bears. Or the porridge, yeah. right? The porridge, right? Yeah, it's porridge. Like you try okay, all okay. the porridge yeah, and okay, you know, right, cool, this, cool. this one's too hot. This one's too cold. You know, this chair is too big. This chair is too small. This chair, I don't like the corner office or whatever, right? Kind of the same concept here. So the social Goldilocks is how can I reach out to a variety of people for short conversations in order to get a bunch of feedback very, very quickly for those test drive type conversations that I just mentioned earlier, right? So in the social Goldilocks, a couple things matter here. Thing number one is you have to have some level of hypothesis about where you're going, either the types of people that you want to work with or the types of organizations or the types of roles. So you don't have to know all of those. But you have to at least have some guesses as to one of those. So in Laura's case, she was less concerned about the organization initially and more concerned about, hey, here's a couple roles that I'm interested in or a couple areas. She actually didn't even know exactly what the roles would be. So she was interested in product management. She was interested in innovation and some of the different ways that innovation can happen. And she was interested in a few others too. So we helped her design a experiment over about a month and a half where she reached out to about, this is a little bit less than 20 people, and they each were involved in either product management or innovation or some of the others, right? So she had that series of conversations and she would, first of all, reach out and say, hey, I'm making a career change. I am interested in product management or interested in innovation. I see you've been in this role for the last five years. Would you be willing to spend 15 minutes with me so I can ask you a couple questions about what you love, what you don't love in your role. So she would go and she would find that with a little bit of effort and a little bit of, actually a lot of bit of customization and targeting, she would get about 70% of the people who would say, yeah, heck yeah, I would be willing to spend 15 minutes with you. And so she'd go and she'd have those conversations and she'd lead with questions like, hey, what surprised you when you got into this role? What are the things that are different than what you did that you would advise other people to do if they're interested in this as a career? What are the things that you love about your role? What are the things that you believe you are the best at that allow you to be so good in this type of role. So she'd ask a whole series of questions like that. She wouldn't always have time for all of them. But one of the things that she would do is at when that 15 minutes rolled around, she would say, Hey, I know we're at time here. I would love to keep going, but I don't want to assume that you have more time. A lot of the time, a lot of those occasions, people would say, you know, I got another 45 minutes. Let's keep going. And they were really, really generous with their time because they were enjoying the conversation. And she very much made it about them as well. So she found that a lot of people were very, very willing to help in that way. So here's a couple of things that had happened. Let's fast forward to the end. Thing number one, she learned that innovation she wanted nothing to do with, <laughs> like in all the ways she saw it show up, she just really wasn't that interested in it. Thing number two, she did find that she enjoyed product management. And also she hit upon a couple of organizations that she was really, really excited about. Now, here's the really cool thing is now that she had gone through and done some of that work and had a little bit of feedback coming in saying, Hey, I'm heading the right direction for me. She is able to have a different level of conversation 
she was able to go back to one of those organizations and the couple of people that she had talked with there. And she was able to say, Hey, you know what? I really, really appreciated our conversations, really enjoyed it immensely. I am you know, curious what it might look like for me to work here in the future. Or the specific question that she asked in this particular case was, what advice would you give me if I wanted to work here in the future? Or a variation of that was, what do you think it would take for me to work here in the future? I've loved this. I think that this could be a great organization for me. How do we have an open conversation about that? And she was able to ask directly because she now had a relationship in place. So it put her in a different position. Yeah, that's fantastic, right? And like the thing you mentioned about like, it's called the, I think the foot in the door technique where you ask for a little bit of time and they're already on the phone with you or like on Zoom call and they're like, okay, you already delivered the value. And most of them, if they do have more time, they're willing to like give you more at that point, right? Yeah. I find that if you do it as a technique alone, then it doesn't work very well. However, you if you do it and treat that other person like a human, then surprisingly, or maybe unsurprisingly, I don't know, people are very willing to give you their time and help out. Like as humans, we all really at the core want to help in some way. And if you really think about what's happening, like in Laura's case, she's having these conversations, she's asking about them and things that they care about. And that is a fun type of interaction for most people. So while many people are like, oh, I don't want to bother people. I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. In this case, like she's actually giving them a gift in some ways. She's getting a lot out of it. Don't get me wrong, but she's giving them a way to be able to share some of what they've learned, which is valuable for a lot of people. I mean, that's shoot. That's like what you and I are doing right now. Like you're on a podcast, you have the podcast they've worked on for a year and a half now, and you're sharing what you have learned. And you know, you and I are having this conversation to sort of do the same thing. And that's fun for a lot of people, not everybody. Yeah. And some professionals don't understand reaching out to people in terms of building relationships and getting information is that these people, they're surrounded by the same colleagues day in and day out. And that means that the stuff that they want to share, they probably already know, right? So by someone random reaching out to them, they're able to like share their story, which they might not have the opportunity to with their colleagues because yeah. their colleagues know their story, right? So it's yeah. they can't share their stuff, right? So like someone who's reaching out randomly say, hey, I'm very interested in like what you do based on your like, LinkedIn profile. I would like to learn more. I mean, that is a feel-good feeling because it makes them feel important, right? Yeah, especially if you can do it in a way that is really relevant to them. That doesn't necessarily... It's not just out of the blue, but it is really actually relevant and genuine for them. So that I think we all crave genuine interaction and genuine connection in a variety of different ways. And that looks different for different people, but at some core, we all crave that human connection. I remember two different things that have stuck with me over the years. I was in a training, this has probably been 15 years ago with one of the organizations that I worked with and they had this whole high potential program and blah, 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 whatever. But anyhow, that was in this training and the trainer at the time pointed out that so rarely do people actually listen to us. Like it sounds absurd, but so rarely do people really listen that it's actually a gift that we can give other people to truly listen and give them a space. And that's always stuck with me for sure. And I think the other thing that has stuck with me over the years too, is that when you're doing that, when you're listening to other people and you're asking their opinion, that really amplifies it. And I think it's so valuable that 
I'm surprised that you know it doesn't happen more frequently because it requires us to get over ourselves enough in order to be able to ask and then give people the space to share what they know. But you can benefit so much if you can move past the surface level things that we all talk about on a day-to-day basis and then really get to the core of what someone has to offer. And I just think that that is so underrated. It's so valuable. What's some advice that you can give someone to ask deeper questions, not the general, oh, what do you do or what do you like about the company? I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. I've been on hundreds of podcasts. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been asked that question before. That's such a wonderful question. I'm always a sucker for a good question. Okay, so like, what would I actually do? Let me think about this for just a second. <sighs> what advice would I give for to ask deeper questions? Well, I mean, some of the things that jump into my mind are follow your curiosity. I know that sounds like something that's obvious, But most people, they'll get stuck or they'll stop because they're afraid of how a question might sound. And I find that that, being able to vocalize that and even share why you might be interested can really, really help. So even prefacing the question, that's something I don't think I've ever heard people say when they're talking about deeper level questions, but even share why you're interested in finding out, you get a different type of answer in so many different ways. And then of course, something probably everybody has heard is ask open-ended questions as opposed to like, hey, so do you feel like you need to, that's a yes or no question, like the do you, but instead asking you the what or how or why, a lot of people will give you advice not to ask the why questions. And I would say those are an advanced level question. You can ask why questions, but it requires that you have already built trust with somebody. Otherwise, it can be offensive. Like if I say, Max, why are you asking me that question? Like that can sound like a little bit offensive, right? But if I said, what caused you to ask me that question? I mean the same thing, but it can come off a different way. So asking those what or how questions and then really digging into your curiosity and not allowing your head to get in the way. So I'm now very curious, what prompted you to ask that question? Because when it comes to like networking or reaching out to people, a lot of people do service level questions. Again, I don't know if it's because like they don't know what else to ask or they don't want to offend. Because sometimes if you go with a deeper question, they might think it's too invasive. So they don't want to like ask it, right? But in order to create a genuine connection and real engagement with someone, you do have to go to a deeper level of a question to get them to really open up, right? So this is going to sound kind of absurd, but this is a little bit of an obsession of mine. For as long as I can remember, so many people have told me over and over again, like, I've never told anybody that before. Like, I'll ask them questions, we'll be having a conversation, and then 30 plus minutes into the conversation, they'll be like, I don't think I've ever told anybody this before. So I started noticing that was happening early on. And so for the last 20 or so years, it's become an obsession to be able to figure out how do I get deep enough very quickly with people to where they're willing to share things that they wouldn't share with anybody else. And I love that. It sounds a little bit neurotic. I'm very well aware, but I love it because to do that, I found you really do have to bridge that deeper level connection, like you're talking about. Like, I think you made such a great point. Like it is that deeper level of connection and it's a requirement to be able to go anywhere near the, I've never told anybody that before territory. So what's the advice in terms of like asking the deeper question? How can you find that line? Is like, you want to dive deeper, but you don't want to be invasive with the question without like offending them. Hmm. 
like the fear of offense, right? Because like you don't know this person, you don't really like know their wavelength, so to speak. So you don't want to intrude, right? So I think again, like I just mentioned, that's why they tend to ask surface level questions because they don't want to offend the person, right? Because people do want that like approval, so they don't want to make it awkward as well, right? Yeah, that's such a great question. I would definitely ask <laughs> a similar type of thing because like it's easy to say, hey, ask the deeper level questions. But then a different way to look at it is like everybody knows that to some degree. So how do you actually do that in reality with all the things that have a tendency to stop us? Right. So I love your question. How do you actually do that? I'm trying to go back a lot of years and put myself in the mindset of like what helped at that point in time. Because like what helps me currently is probably different than what helped when I was really honing that skill set. And I think there's two things that pop into my head. One is ask permission. It sounds silly almost, but asking permission gives you a crutch. And if you need a crutch to be able to practice that, then it's well worth doing. So the way I ask permission might sound, it might be like, hey, can I ask you a kind of personal, pretty deep question. Would that be okay? <laughs> and you know, some people are going to say, yeah, I don't know. Like, no, we just met each other. Like, no, that's not okay. But most people, I think I find that when you ask permission, most people are going to say, yeah, yeah, go for it. Sure. So asking permission is a great way. It sounds so obvious after you know I, I say it, but it helps provide that crutch. And if that helps, do it. So the second thing would be just getting in the practice, getting in the reps and being able to see what is effective versus what is less effective. Because there's also, everybody's got their own personal style. Everybody's got their own personality. Yes, I know personality can evolve over time, but for whatever your you know personal style and personality is, that impacts what is going to allow you to be successful with creating different deeper connections and what might be right for me won't be right for the next person, right? So that requires getting in the reps and practicing. Yeah. How I usually do it is like, feel free to answer this question. If you're uncomfortable with it, let me know. Or this might be an uncomfortable question. So feel free to not answer if you don't feel comfortable, right? So just trying to yeah. like set the tone. I usually do something along those lines. Yeah. That prefacing, like we were just talking about earlier, that's a great example. The, let's see, you said, you know, this might be an uncomfortable question. Simply acknowledging that works magic sometimes for being able to then get permission to go and ask the uncomfortable question. People are like, oh, yeah, okay, all right, it's fine. Yeah. And then I would say, like, feel free to not answer it if you don't feel comfortable, right? So, like, I give them the floor if they want to answer or not. So, it yeah. gives you that, like, a uh, breather, right? So, it's not like you're forcing them to answer it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I find it so funny because I can't tell you the number of people where they've told me something along the lines of like, hey, I don't want to play the games and everything. I don't want to, you know, <laughs> I don't want to play the game. I just want to be able to talk to you straight. However, I find that if we just talk straight, as people would say, sometimes that actually doesn't create as good of a result. If the goal is a deeper level of connection or whatever else the goal might be. So in terms of Laura, what happened to her after she did the career experiments that you coached her on? Great question. Let's go back to Laura. So Laura, she had those conversations you know, with one particular organization that she was really excited about. She had these 
social Goldilocks style conversations. She then was talking with her husband over dinner and just, they were talking about different types of things that could be wonderful for her. And he's like, you know what? You're always talking about different types of assessments and like self-development and you know topics like that. And then she started talking about she realized, hey, I just had a conversation with a company that really does that. They do assessments for organizations. If I could just do that all day long, that would be amazing. So she had that realization literally over dinner. And then that's what led to her being able to go back and say, hey, you know what? Maybe I should really consider working with this organization. So she went and then had those conversations I mentioned earlier about, hey, what would it look like to work here? Could we have a conversation about what that might look like in the future or how that could be possible? And she sat down with not just one person, but a variety of people over the course of the next month. And they talked about it and that allowed her to enter and quite frankly, bypass most of what would be considered the traditional you know, application and hiring process, right? So she didn't even have to apply in the same way. I think she actually filled an application like after she was just about to be hired, if I remember correctly. And then also she had already gone through what most people would consider to be screen interview. She just got to skip ahead. And the role that she accepted an offer for, which by the way, she accepted an offer at an increase to what she was making previously, it was something where she just got to step right into the final stage interviews. And it was not even a role that was posted in the way that most of us think about traditionally posting. Like you go and you see it. It was in some ways modified for her. And that's the power of networking, right? Like she basically built up a good relationship with that company so well that they ended up just creating a position just for her, right? Yeah. And I I think that what you just said, the relationship is really what did that. I know we spend a lot of time as a society talking about networking and things like networking, but it really, if you were to oversimplify it for a second, it's those relationships that are in place that allow things like that to happen. So I think great point. So did she negotiate her salary? She did. Yeah. And before we hit record here, you had said you wanted to talk about some negotiation examples here. And Laura did a great job negotiating. We helped her go through and say, okay, actually, you know what? If I back up for a second, one of the things that we did with Laura was we helped her define on paper, on purpose, what created her ideal career, what extraordinary looked like so that then she could go out there and recognize what her personal version of extraordinary is in reality. So it might seem kind of silly. However, that's really important before she ever got a job offer because she had already defined what would create great compensation for herself long before she ever even had a job offer. And that meant two things. She could look for the right types of situations that would provide that compensation. So she didn't get to the other end and be like, oh yeah, this is about a hundred thousand less than what I thought it was going to be. So that's no good because that wastes everybody's time. But then the other thing too is she'd already made those decisions in advance versus trying to make those decisions after a job offer, after you've done all this work and after you're like, oh my goodness, already put in all of this work, all this emotion, all this everything else. Like that's a terrible time to make a decision. That's a terrible time to then decide what you're going to accept. That's like going to the grocery store when you're hungry. Like you come home with Doritos and ice cream and all kinds of things that you wouldn't maybe otherwise come home with. So instead, that's one thing I should say, but I'll give you another example here that maybe is even better than Laura's because Laura's went pretty 
easy overall. But let's talk about Jessica for a second here. In Jessica's situation, she was also making a career change, like from one completely different type of occupation to another completely different type of occupation. She was transitioning from training and development to like content creation and C-level role in a mid-size organization. And in her case, she had not really had a lot of experiences with negotiation, but the offer that they made her initially was about $60,000 less than what she was interested in. And she also, at the same time, had another offer from Facebook, now Meta. She got this offer, which was about $130,000-ish, and then also had this offer from Facebook, again, now they're Meta, that was almost $100,000 more than that. She didn't want to work for Meta at the time. Yeah, she wanted this other role because it really aligned. The organization really aligned with what she wanted. The role aligned with what she wanted. There were so many other things except for the compensation. So here's what we did. We went through and we evaluated what are the points that organization can easily understand and would be open to modifying. Like, What are the things, what are the pieces of your argument, if you will, that are easy for them to understand? Because at first she came to me and she's like, well, okay, so I've already pulled all these market comps and everything like that. And at the end of the day, the people that were running this particular organization were not people that really cared about anything about market comps. Like, that's great. But these were a pair of entrepreneurs. And what was more interesting to them was what was going to allow her, Jessica, to grow the organization. So we said, okay, first of all, let's consider who is making the decisions. What do those people care about? What's going to move the needle for these people individually? And then what we realized was two things. One, that if Jessica had a way to share the risk then that would actually be really good for these owners of a mid-size organization, right? Because it wasn't something that had an IPO. It wasn't something that was you know funded with other people's money. It was two owners that like for every dollar that was lost, like that was one of their dollars, right? So we said, okay, well, maybe equity could be something that would be useful here. Also, at the same time, we found that it was probably really easy to help them understand that she was going to lose money if she accepted the offer as it was. So we put those two things in front of the owners of this organization and said, hey, look, here's the deal. We have this other offer. Jessica went and had the conversation with them saying, and by the way, she did not share this over email. That's a common mistake I see over and over again. Everybody wants to rush to like write the perfect email. Stop doing that. Sometimes is the right situation, but in most circumstances, that's actually not that useful. What's far better is if we can have a, you actually called it a collaborative interaction when we were talking about the same subject on the Happening Your Career podcast. And I would say that it needs to be collaborative. It needs to be a partnership type discussion. We are partnering to solve this problem of bringing me aboard. And so she went and had the conversation of, hey, I love everything about the organization. Thank you so much. This is really wonderful offer, except we are about $100,000 lower. $100,000 lower for two reasons. One, I have this other offer with Facebook. I don't want to accept it. I don't. It's not quite right for me. I would much rather work here. 
also at the same time, if I just accept your offer, I'm losing about roughly $65,000 that I'm currently making for my total compensation right now. So I would really like to be able to share the responsibility or share the risk here in one way or another. So I, if you'd be open to it, I'd consider things like equity. I would consider things like stock. I'd consider ways to share that. So can we have a conversation about how we might bridge this gap of about $100,000? That sounds like a way different conversation than what most people would have. Here's the end result. Fast forward a little bit. It wasn't just one conversation. It was a series of conversations that they had where she was asking questions, trying to understand more and more. And actually, she was leading them through a decision-making process by continuing to ask consultative questions. So she ended up actually getting a total compensation from about 130, I think it's like 138,000 was her initial offer, to a little bit over 300,000 once we counted in everything. Was it easy? No, it was really outside her comfort zone. Did it take a lot of upfront work? Yeah, we had to do a lot of research to really understand how are they going to behave? Who are these people? What is enforcing their decisions? How can we creatively get information about the organization to understand the financial health and other things that move the needle here uh, to allow us to understand what we're working with? And then it required us actually going through and developing a couple of different types of strategies. By the way, if you want to hear this particular, how we helped Jessica work through it, we actually got Jessica's permission to share the coaching session or one of the coaching sessions on our podcast, where we literally are guiding her through how to go from 130000 to over $300,000 in an offer. So that's there. You can find that on happenedyourcareer.com too and search for negotiation. It'll pop up. Awesome. You've worked with a lot of high-performing professionals that uh, pivoted careers. You yourself have pivoted your career as well. So I want to end this podcast with one last question for you. So my podcast, as you're aware, is to help professionals overcome common career challenges to get them to the next level. So what has been one big career challenge for you throughout your career that you had to overcome to get to where you are today? At this point, I'd expect nothing less than a wonderful question like that from you, Max. You know, for me, quite honestly, I made a lot of career changes, right? After I got fired, that we talked, that's how we began this conversation. You know, I got fired and I made career change after career change after career change. And many of those I definitely consider to be my dream job, or at least as big as I could dream at that particular time. And it kept getting better and better and better and better. However, one thing that isn't obvious in that story is that I kept changing over and over again. So I really struggled with could I stay the course in any one situation? And could I be successful, whatever that looked like in a particular role, if I stayed for longer than a year and a half or two years? It became easy for me to be able to change from one situation to another and improve like what I was getting in terms of compensation, what I was getting in terms of getting to explore my interests, getting to work with people that I thought were really wonderful. But what was much harder for me was consistency and staying the course. That was something that was a huge struggle for many, many, many years. And I realized two things out of that. One, it is baked into my personality a little bit. I get bored. Like I really do. Like when I am not challenged or when the variety has worn off for me, I get bored. And some people I really respect when they get bored, they can push through. Like they can figure out how to still get results and everything. When I get bored, I have trouble making myself do things. There was a point in time where like I was 
probably pretty close to going down the firing route or being fired in another organization because my performance started to dip off. I'd been a rock star and going up and up and up and up. And then I got bored. And after about eight months of being really bored, that was not a good situation. I was not contributing at the same level that they had grown accustomed to me contributing to. So that was a huge struggle. But I realized that if you only look at it as, do I change or do I not change? That's too narrow. And that's what I want to share with other people. When you're seeing those same patterns, when you're seeing those same struggles, those struggles actually can tell you something that's really wonderful for you, but only if you look, only if you look deeper. And in my case, I realized that I had to find a situation that would allow me to continue to be challenged in the ways that were good for me. I did actually find that with another organization before I ended up founding and starting Happen to Your Career. And that turned out to be a really wonderful situation where I got to move from project to project to project. And every time it was a new and different challenge, but it took me a long time to understand that that's what I needed. And that was actually a really wonderful thing for me. And it just wasn't about being bored or needing to change. It was that I was not getting the right type of growth for me. So that's the thing that I would encourage other people to look for. What creates the right type of situation for you? What takes, creates the right type of growth or challenge or whatever it is that you need in your work to where then it's giving just as much back to you. And that's really difficult to find. That's part of what we help people with, you know, spending many, many months just figuring out what that is. But that's the advice that I would offer. It's worth looking for. It's worth finding the answers. And that's a good segue to how can people contact you to learn more about what you do and how you can help them. Well, you know, actually, I'm really glad you asked because now that I think about it, we do have a eight-day mini course. We call it the Figure It Out Eight-Day Mini Course that allows people to begin answering those questions as to what creates this extraordinary situation for me. It's an email every single day for eight days. It has a couple of questions in there that get you started in thinking through and finding those clues because it really is kind of a CSI detective work type of game. Even if you're really, really experienced and even if you have a high degree of self-awareness, it really is putting together all of these different clues in order to understand your situation. So I would encourage people to go over to happenyourcareer.com and you know click on the eight-day course there, or you can go directly to figureitout.co. That's figureitout.co. And then that'll take you to it where you can just put in your email and then get that email for eight days every day. Awesome, Scott. Again, I appreciate your insights and strategies and I hope my audience gets a lot of value from it in order to make their career change that they're looking to do. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Max. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.